chapter 27, 13, and 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Church, would you open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2? I want to thank Danielle for putting together what we are calling our Advent table that's up here at the front. Uh, I know some of you can't see it from where you are at the back, but uh, when services are over, I hope you'll have a chance to come up and, and look it over. Uh, enjoy not just the sights, but also the smells of the cedar. The word Advent simply means coming. And it's my simple hope that this table, throughout the month of December, is going to help our church in celebrating the fact that Jesus not only has come, but that he's coming again. So many of you, like me, process important truths visually, in addition to how we process them verbally. A month ago, we finished a series involving our mission statement. And I had a cross up here on the stage for probably about five weeks. Why? Because I wanted to help fix in our minds that at the center of our mission to this world is a cross. What's going to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus hasn't changed for thousands of years. It's just as simple. It's when God's children get on crosses of their own. And they become that bridge, that, that ladder, that conduit that connects people from being lost to being found. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't need to just hear about a cross, but I need to see one. And so we did. We talked about our lives being like restored clay pots early on in my ministry here. Maybe some of you will remember when we invited an actual potter to come on stage and to throw pots here. Not at one another, that actually means to create them, okay, in potter lingo. And he did that right here on our stage. He, he put together and he threw a couple of pots on his wheel to first of all demonstrate that in the same way that those pots were made, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We're no accident here. Any more than those pots were accidents, we believe with all of our heart God knit us together. And then he fired those things. He put them in a kiln to strengthen them so that they could become more useful. And we talked about how likewise in our own lives, difficulties and tragedies and struggles, they fire us. They prepare us to be more useful than we ever could be before we met those trials. And then remember the Sunday when I took that mallet and I crushed one of them? I'll never forget <gasps> that I heard in the church. It was the most beautiful pot that he threw and had fired and I crushed it. And then on Easter Sunday, that, that crushed pot had been restored. And through its scars, we could see the light shining through in a way that could have never been seen if that pot had not been broken first. And we got a chance to see the truths that through our brokenness, through our being created to be broken, life comes. Light shines just like you sang a few moments ago. Well, in a similar fashion, I want to fill the four weeks of December with a visual light that we talk about and sing about that's come into this world. A light that has shone into our darkness and a light that not only marks, again, His coming once, but also His coming again, to drive away darkness, not just in our lives, but literally from the face of this earth forever. The prophet Isaiah, if I can find it, here we are, prophesied that this would happen 600 years 
before he actually came. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we believe, as the church of Jesus Christ, that light came, don't we? Amen. That light has a name. We celebrate him as Jesus Christ the Lord. The one who called himself light came. Remarkably, this time of the year, we remember as a baby. A baby that so many had been waiting on. A baby who was to eventually grow up and give his life to the world. And now, amazingly, just as people had been waiting centuries for him to come, we're waiting. We're waiting for him to come again. Now, without answering out loud, I'm going to ask you a question that I think is going to hinge on how much of this lesson maybe connects with you this morning. What is it that you've received in your lifetime that you would say, man, that was worth the wait? Car? Child? Healing? A mate? A job, turning 16, getting the keys to the car, a trip, a trophy, a gift. For Gail and I, Thursday night, it was seeing our kids come through the door. Tabitha and her husband, Travis, made an early Christmas trip down to see us because she has a friend of hers who's getting married. And so this is really our Christ-giving that's Thanksgiving and Christmas put together. Christ giving, okay? And I don't know how you feel about this, parents, but getting to spend time with my kids is, is almost the most priceless thing in the world to me right now. It is always, always so worth the wait. Even if Gail and I had to wait up till 1 in the morning, four hours past our bedtime. Some of you do the math on that. Now, I do need a response on this one. How many of you who are kids, kids of all ages, how many of you are kids can't wait for Christmas? If that's you, turn to your neighbor and say, that would be me. (laughs) Me! Me! All right, now, truth be told, there are some of you who couldn't say that. That's just simply not true for you. And I want you to know I'm sorry. We went out for uh, the first time in six months to see some of our together moms as they have just landed in arms of hope and are getting acquainted with them and also with us. And it broke my heart, the number of moms who could not think of a holiday at all that was meaningful to them. It wasn't one. It wasn't two. I think it was at least five, but I know for sure it was four. Who couldn't remember the Christmas holiday, especially as one that they just loved. Now, I just want to say, for those of you who are on either side of that aisle, those who can't wait for Christmas to come, and for those who could care less that it's coming, I want you to know, I think this message is for you. It really is. My hope during this season of what many in the world call Advent is that you will have hope again, especially those of you who haven't had any in regards to this particular holiday that's coming up. 
I'm going to ask you to bow in prayer with me before we go on. Father, it's already been a tough day for me. Did not want to come and tell our church family about Peggy. Um, just going to miss her. Her joy, her compassion, her heart. I'm glad we get to have her for a month. I'm glad Mickey gets to have her so much more than he has over the last couple of years. But that's already been tough. But I have hope in you that what I can't see right now, you will, you will bring into fruition someone who can sit in that chair and who will also with compassion and joy and just excellence help this church be the church that you need for it to be. Father, lots of us walked into this room hoping for something. Hoping in a situation, hoping in a need that you would some way, somehow come through for us. We're not the only ones. I know that Barnett Chapel has a great minister, Noah, who's preaching the word probably right now as we speak, and I ask that your spirit would fall on him like I'm asking you to fall on us. Please help us leave here today a little bit more hopeful. In Jesus' name, and the church said. Can I tell you personally, the sportsmen's rock on Christmas. We do. Thursday night while we were waiting for our kids to walk in the door, we put up the tree, uh, we hung the stockings, we brought out the antique Santas, the nutcracker cookie jar, the garland. We have three different Pandora stations for Christmas music so that we can listen to it nonstop. We have probably just about finished our first quart of eggnog. Mm-hmm. Anybody else here been indulging already? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Love that stuff. We love Christmas at our house. But i got to tell you personally for this year, for me, it's just not enough for the sportsmen to prepare the environment around us. I want our family to be more intentional about preparing our hearts within us for His coming. And I want to say right up front now, and I'll, I'll expound on this later, I haven't, I haven't been that concerned most of my life. For millions who follow Jesus around the globe, for millions of Christians who love Jesus Christ. This week is the start of Advent. Some of you have joined our KCC family here and our mission here to try to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Christ. You've, you've bought into that mission to love God, love our neighbor, and live life to the full. But before you came here, you were part of a church tradition that did celebrate the Advent season. Now, traditionally in churches of Christ, we have not. Most of my growing up, rarely ever was there heard a sermon about Christmas during the Christmas season. That may not be where you grew up, but from 11 years old to probably about 18 years old, never heard a Christmas sermon at Christmas. Now, that's changed over the years of my life, especially the last 20 years, and some of you who are a part of Christ's church, who were raised in the church of Christ, who, who've been a part of this tradition. You've been hearing sermons about Jesus during this time of the year. Maybe some very specific focuses on Christ during this time of the year. But we've never called it Advent and really don't intend to now. Because the word Advent really isn't in the Bible. But neither is the word, strangely enough, Bible. Did you know that? Neither is Easter Neither is Christmas, but all of those words refer to certain aspects of our faith that are in the Bible and are incredibly meaningful to us. 
They parallel words like Scripture, words like resurrection, and the birth of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Advent simply is the word for coming. And uniquely, the word Advent entails both Jesus' coming the first time and His second coming. And we believe in and we hope in both of those. Amen? Amen. All right, let's just get on the same page about this. It doesn't matter what you call it. It matters what it actually means in your life. And I think for many of us, during the Christmas season, we don't hardly ever think about the second coming. And maybe some of us, like me, don't really think that much about His first coming. Now, I hope that the truth that as we move through this month of December becomes something that is more and more a part of our lives in regards to every single one of us. Now, what that's going to involve... is getting used to experiencing the already and the not yet. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, think for a second. If you've got a small child in your home, I promise you for the next few days, you're going to be getting a great picture of what Advent looks like. A young child sees the tree <laughs> and that it's really not made for lights and really it's not made for ornaments. It's made for presents, right? to be put under that thing. And when those presents start piling up underneath there, the kids start gathering around. At least they did in the sportsman household. And they would stare at the presents. And they would dream about the presents. And they would count the presents. And when mom and dad weren't in the house, they would shake the presents and look under the presents and see which one was them, which one was theirs. Same thing at your house? I thought so. The Christmas tree, the lights, and the ornaments, that was for presents, right? Well, and when those presents were there, what they really wanted to do was open those presents. And when they were very, very young, maybe this happened at your house, our youngest would say, is today Christmas? No, not yet. Well, get up the next day, is today Christmas? No, not yet. And so we would wait. And we would wait. And we would wait in the sportsman household till finally it was time. But most of the time during the Christmas season, they were already there, but it was not yet time to open them. And that's probably as good an illustration as I can think of as trying to say, we as a church live in the already, uh, but the not yet. The gift of all gifts has been delivered to us. His name is Jesus Christ. And we have unwrapped that gift at the power of the resurrection. And our name was on that gift. And he is with us but not fully yet. Not yet. Not like he'll be, the scripture says, not when we're seeing him through a mirror, but, but when we see him face to face in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in a very, very real, powerful way, we live in the already, but not yet. And you know what the challenge is with that? A tough word for me to say. Waiting. I don't wait very well. And maybe you do, but I, I just am not a good waiter. And I know that God needs for me to do that. I mean, one of the powerful, most powerful scriptures is, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. And so that says to me, you want to be a waiter. You want to be a good waiter in the kingdom of God. And i got to tell you, I'm just not a very good waiter because I lose hope. 
I lose hope pretty quickly. And I'm afraid that maybe you're in that same group too. We don't mind waiting for a while, but after a certain amount of time, we just start to lose hope. We start to get not just discouraged, but absolutely disillusioned. And that's what the children of God were, were experiencing when, when Jesus, just before he arrived, came. They had been waiting forever, it seemed. The scripture actually records over 400 years from the last time the word of the Lord had come down. Now, many of you in here know about the intertestamental period of the Bible. That's the time when the, the writings of the Old Testament closed and the writings of the New Testament opened. That was about 400 years, longer than we've been a nation. Four centuries in which the, a nation that was used to hearing a prophet at least or, or the word through a judge or maybe the word literally from the heavens himself, God speaking, he didn't speak. Those who published Bibles not too long ago really would put a blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament to signify what they call the 400 years of silence. We don't do silence real well. We don't do waiting real well. And I want you to understand this. The nation of Israel was not waiting very well just before Jesus came. It had been a long, long, long wait. So much in their life needed a touch from a healer and a rescuer and a deliverer. And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And they were starting to lose hope. That happens to all of us, doesn't it? But I want to say again, I'm not very good at waiting. And probably the worst place that I wait is at theme parks. Now, I know I'm going to lose credibility with some of you, but I just really could pass on going to most theme parks because of one thing, the lines. Amen. There you go. Man, you, you pay these exorbitant amounts of money, and you get in there and a Coke is like $50. And it's 102 when you go to Fiesta, Texas in the summer. And then you've got to wait when you get there. Even if they give you one of those fast passes, you go up there, swipe your fast pass, and it tells you when you can come back from the place that you're already at. So you can wait some more. Less, right? But still, you've got to wait some more. But you know what? Waiting's not easy for anybody. But if you go to a theme park, you'll see why we get grumpy about waiting, most of us, all right? And, and they try to help. They really, really do. They post those signs that give you some kind of an idea about where you are in the line. You've seen some of those signs that say, your wait from this point is two days. <laughs> it feels that way, doesn't it? And it narrows down from one day to a day and a half to, to four hours and six hours. And then finally, to get on a three and a half minute ride, you've waited almost two days, it feels. That's why it's so hard for me to wait at theme parks. But you know what I wish? I wish we could take those signs or that God would give us one of those signs into other areas of our lives. I think it would be great if when you've been waiting for a job, somewhere somehow God would have a sign up here that says, from this point you have four months to wait before your next job. And somebody who says, wait a minute, I, you know, when you're waiting for a job, four months is a long time. But hey, 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 if... As, as long as I know at the end of four months I get a job, I can wait. And we could, right? Some of you who've been wanting to get married, 
and it feels like forever that you have been hoping for someone to share your life with, understand how difficult it is to wait. And you're thinking, if, if I just had one of those signs, even if it said a year and a half from now, <laughs> that's a long time to wait. But you know what? If I knew at the end of a year and a half of waiting that I would finally have someone to share, my, I could do that. Or maybe some of you wait on something small like, your husband finally taking off his hunting boots before he comes in the house. Just grabbing an illustration out of nowhere. <laughs> and you're praying like my wife is, Lord, is he ever going to get that this matters to me? And you would be thrilled if he'd just give you a sign that says, no, not in your lifetime. <laughs> you at least should know. No, that's not going to happen. I can just move on. It's hard for us to wait. If only God would provide signs that informed us how long we need to. I think we'd be better waiters. But the truth is, for most of the lines that matter in this world, there just aren't any. There's just not. And the truth is, for the Jews, just before Jesus was born, there weren't any signs for them either. Not for 400 years. They waited, listen to me, a long, long, for a Messiah. And at some point, you just start to lose hope. And I'm guessing some of you understand that better than maybe some of us in this room because you have been waiting on God to rescue you and cure your cancer and fix your finances and heal your marriage. You've been waiting for a deliverer to come and help you overcome an addiction that you struggle with literally most of your life. You've been waiting for God to bring justice to that person who hurt you. And you turned it over to him like the scripture says, vengeance is his, says the Lord. So you gave it to him, and yet you've not seen anything that looks like payback at all. I don't know what you've been waiting for in terms of being rescued, in terms of, of what you hoped he would heal or change or remove or deliver. I don't know what you've been hoping for, but somewhere along the line, I have a feeling some of you have lost hope. It's not that hard. Because when we start to feel hopeless for very long, all of a sudden, we start to get a little bit more independent. Correct me if I'm wrong. When God doesn't answer our prayers like we would hope, when He doesn't alter circumstances like we would hope, when He doesn't come through like we would hope, we, we, we get hopeless. And that leads to me feeling a little independent as if it really depends on me. You've heard this statement before. It's almost an American mantra. If it's to be, it's up to me. Hopelessness will, will help create that feeling within you. And I understand for some of you, you, you've had people in your lives who should have been caregivers, who should have been authorities and, and should have protected, and yet they failed. They did not. You couldn't trust them as far as you could throw them. And so you've put up these walls in regards to everybody, and you've put these walls up in regards to God, and you're starting to feel pretty independent like it just hinges on you. There are some of you who have um, created your own song. We sang one kind of like it a few moments ago, but here's your song. My hope is built on nothing less than me, myself, and I, I guess. That's a sad song. It really is. But life will teach you pretty quickly that there are many things you can't handle on your own. Other people's feelings, other people's actions, children's decisions, the weather, the market, the economy. That's just to name a few. 
And when we find that out, that often leads us to become indignant. We get angry. I've been here. You, you, you get resentful, cynical towards life. Things haven't worked out like you thought they were going to or should. And as one Holocaust survivor says, if this is the best that God can do, then maybe he should just resign and allow somebody else more competent to take his place. Wow, you may not have the courage to actually speak those words out, but I think some of you thought them. And you can definitely relate to them. You were angry. You're tired of waiting. You remember the same time last year when you were filled with hope as you began to pray, God, would you please give us a child? And here you are a year later and you're still waiting. And you just start to become more and more discouraged and more and more defeated. And hope begins to leak out. And you know what takes its place? Bitterness. And if you experience those two places long enough, being independent and indignant, then here's what happens. You become indifferent. I just don't care. I don't care. Whatever. What does it matter? Have you been there? Then maybe these words connect with you. They're from Lewis Smead's, Waiting is our destiny. Sorry. As creatures who cannot by themselves will what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Those who've waited before say amen. It's hard. Did you hear that, church? It's hard for all of us. None of us do that well. And if you understand those words well, please know the Jews had been waiting a long, long, long time before their deliverer came. But Jesus in his grace gives us, I think, two examples from his early life. When he first touched down, all right? Two waiters that we meet early on in his ministry that uh, were rewarded for their hope. One of them we met a couple of weeks ago. His name is Simeon. The other is Anna. But both of these people continued to put their hope in God regardless of, of what they, they particularly personally were waiting for. But we're going to talk about Simon first. Mary and Joseph, you remember the setting, come to dedicate Jesus as a child. It was required by law, and so this was necessary. And here's what the Scripture says. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem by the name of Simeon. He was righteous and he was devout, and he was, I love this, eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now that phrase jumped off the page at me this week. It didn't so much a couple of weeks ago when we looked at this man's life, but it did this week. He was eagerly waiting. I don't eagerly wait very long. Maybe the first five minutes for something, but not very long. No, the adverbs you can normally attach to sportsmen's waiting is resentfully, anxiously, fearfully, angrily, sullenly, nauseatingly, frustratingly, peevishly, and this favorite, cantankerously. And I think that's most of our MO if we have to wait very long. When we're put in a position where we don't get what we want when we want it, we don't wait eagerly. But Simeon was. We don't know how long he's been waiting, but we can assume he's probably older than the average age expectancy for that time when this is what we read. The Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, for a Jew, that was winning the lottery. Simeon thought he, he had won. They've been waiting for, you've heard me say it, a long, long time for this Messiah. This was like, when I get to see him? Yes, before you die. Well, when's that going to be? Didn't tell him. He had to wait. And we don't know how long he was waiting. But we do know this. He was waiting what? Eagerly. Eagerly. Verse 29. Jesus shows up. And when he holds Jesus in his hands, these are the words that are recorded by Luke. Sovereign Lord, Simeon said, now let your servant die in peace. As you've promised, I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. I love that. All of a sudden, Simeon's ready to go, and all of a sudden, what he has hoped in has been delivered. Hmm. The next great waiter of the Bible I want to point you to is Anna. We meet her in verse 36 of the same chapter. Anna was a prophet. She was in the temple. She was a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Listen to all these facts. Her husband died when they had been married for only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. And I'm going, Lord, this is scripture. What do those details mean? Well, you need to understand that when this story about Jesus hits the streets, God come in the flesh, born of a virgin, raised without sin, dies on a cross to save the whole world, raised from the dead... Ascends to the Father. That sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? And so it helps to attach to it some very specific facts people could check the credibility of that story with. And so that may not mean much to you, but it it meant a lot to the early church as they could do that. Here's a great female waiter, though. And I impressed with her for these next words. Anna never left the temple. (laughs) Now just imagine... um, John Knight never left the church building. Now, I have a favorite phrase with my sister over there, Samuel Lamont. That's odd for God, isn't it? But that's odd for God, not just odd. Passion for God. Are you kidding me? Nothing else matters but God. So read that. Anna never left the temple but stayed there day and night, worshiping God and fasting with prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was, talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everybody who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now, if you consider yourself a waiter, please note these two waiters at the early days of Jesus. They know how you feel. I may not be able to connect with you, but I promise you these two waiters would have known what it was like to be in your shoes to wait whatever it is that you hope the Deliverer will bring. But I want you to notice something. They weren't waiting passively. They weren't waiting passively. They weren't sitting in a park somewhere just watching butterflies. They weren't sitting behind four walls, being off frumpy. They weren't just thumbing through a five-year-old people's magazine. They were not just waiting passively. They were waiting eagerly. They were waiting, let me say this word, actively. There's some incredible words here that are attached to, to Simeon's life. Devout, committed, a righteous man, 
You don't do that. You don't become that by accident. That happens with intention. And so that's why we've been talking a great deal about the intentionality of our mission, the intentionality of, of what we've been called to, the intentionality of giving thanks that we're involved with right now. Because in order for us to become all that Christ needs for us to be, to be that conduit to the world, it takes action on our part. And Simeon was full of it. Here's my question. Would that describe your waiting? I've asked myself this question this week. When people look at my life and I say that I'm waiting on Christ to come, would that describe my waiting? Devout, committed, righteous. I hope that it would. What about Anna? Praises God day and night, fast and praise. Talks to anybody who'll listen about this hope that's coming. Please, church, don't leave here today thinking that waiting on the Lord is doing nothing. Because as we wait during this season of Advent, we're going to be doing something. Even if you think God is absent. If it feels like the season of life can best be described as that blank page where God has been silent and absent in a way that just left you not just disappointed, but I'm telling you, disillusioned. Here's two things I want to invite you to do. One of them we're doing. Giving thanks. I hope by now, two weeks into this, oh, almost 14 days, you're beginning to see, if you've been following this exercise, what thanksgiving does to your living. It, I, it's just no accident. I didn't plan on this with Donnie getting up and talking about the things in his life and how that's, that's bringing about change. But he saw this week, you can't whine and worship at the same time. You just can't. And I want to say this, you can't whine and wait very well at the same time. But I'm going to tell you the truth. You get you a journal, like I've got my journal right here, and I'm going to read a couple of those from you, for you. It's going to change you. Grandma's pecan pie, number 413. 414, Christ giving with Travis and, Ty, and, and, and what was her name? Tabitha, yeah. I had to handwrite this in a few moments ago. Cheap ice, 20 pounds for $1.50, right next to the firecracker stand. Hey, this is my thankful list, not yours. Rain in December, three days in a row, yay God. The Dallas Cowboys, 11-2, and two, yay God. Gail's giddiness, she, she flew to Colorado, got her a PT Cruiser and is back, and I'm telling you, that's one happy woman, the sportsmen's are a happy house. I'm waiting on some things in my life. And thanksgiving is helping me wait. Here's another thing. Fixing your eyes on the one you're waiting for. I know that's not easy. He does too. Because those of us who are redeemed fix our eyes on what we cannot see, not what we do see. Now, we're doing that too. We're writing them down in our journals. And it's, it's, it's preparing us. It's, it's helping us to wait eagerly. To, to, to be eagerly what Christ wants us to be. It's doing something in us. It's, it's this conduit that the Spirit can move through to help open our eyes to all that we have, not just what we think we need. But when we fix our eyes, not just a passing glance, but you fix your eyes on Jesus, something different happens. And I just want to ask you this. Can, can that be said of your life? No, let me make it smaller. Can that be said of your Christmas and how you and your family celebrate it. Can I be honest with you? 
it can't be said much about ours. We love Christmas at the Sportsman household. But I got to tell you, I texted my boys yesterday, my two son-in-laws, and here's what I said to them. Hey, guys, one area that I didn't prepare my family well in was preparing them for Christmas. Our church and hopefully our home will have a new addition this year, and that is the Advent candles. You can read about the tradition on Wikipedia. It's a relatively new phenomenon to North America as of 1930. But I want to help my kids and grandkids know that Santa is a fantasy and Jesus is the real deal. I am not turning all anti-Santa on you. Don't worry. Just making an effort to be more pro-Jesus with Christmas. His coming changed everything and his coming again will certainly change everything. Passing this along as a way I wished I would have better led my kids, sharing this with you and not the girls. Love you both, big time. And I included a picture of what you saw at the beginning of the sermon. And then I went home and I apologized to my wife for not focusing our eyes better during the Christmas season on Jesus. We did a better job with our presence than we did his presence. Now, I could, I could just write that off by saying, well, I wasn't really taught that because I didn't have a church that mentored me well in that. But you know what? That's no excuse. The scriptures are full of his coming. Full. Are we? Are we full of his coming? In this Advent season, we're trying on being a little bit more focused in our home and also in our church. And maybe this would work for you. Maybe, maybe it has nothing to do with candles. Maybe you just decide, okay, you know, every time we light up that Christmas tree, we're going to remember that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Every time that we hang an ornament, when we go to put the ornaments on, we realize how we've been blessed. Gail has uh, our trees just full of ornaments, and every one of them means something. And as we had this discussion last night, she said, you don't see that that's what, what I've been trying to get us to do with these ornaments is to be thankful for what he's done in our lives. And I said, I've missed that, babe. Thirty plus years. I'm grateful for them. But I've got to tell you, as I'm putting them on the tree and remembering what the mailbox was for and, the, and that chimney was for and my motorcycle and the first bear and the first bull and all the different things of the girl's first year at school and college and all the different ornaments that we have, I, I, I haven't said, thank you, God. Maybe you could do that with your family. I don't know what you do, but I'm, I'm inviting, I'm calling out you guys. If we're the leaders of our home, are you leading your family to be focused on Christ in the Christmas season, for heaven's sakes? Are you waiting on your wives to do that? Don't mind having a partner, but who's leading? I'm just letting you peek inside the sportsman household for just a moment. But I want to end this way. When Jesus came, those who put their trust in him said, oh, so worth the wait. And I promise you, when he comes again, those of us, the Hebrew writer says, who have been eagerly anticipating his coming, will say, so worth 
the weight. And I don't know about you, but we need him to come. I need a deliverer from racism and terrorism and abuse. I need a rescuer who will come and, and handle this refugee stuff we deal with, the homelessness, the persecuted brothers and sisters who are losing their lives today. I need a deliverer to come who will help the orphan and the divorced and the enslaved and the mentally ill and the lonely and rescue us, Lord. We wait, but we do not wait as those who do not have hope. We live between the already and the not yet, and we as a church refuse to give up waiting. Amen? What Anna declared in the temple, I declare among my family today. A rescuer is coming. A deliverer is coming, and he's not forgotten you. You may think he's not been faithful to you, but he is faithful over and over again. He's proved it not only in Scripture, but in your life. If you'll just look. And I don't know what the sign would say on that area of your life where you wish you could know how much longer is it going to be. I wish I could tell you the, the amount of hours or days or, or even years. But I know this. He has it circled on his calendar. And when he comes, however he comes, and you won't miss it, you will say, this is so worth the wait. Until then, will you light a candle with me in your heart, not just in some mason jar, but in your heart that says, I will have hope. I will not despair. I will not grow resentful and bitter and cynical. I will have hope because he's worthy of it. We're going to stand and sing a song that I hope you mean. Light of the world, you stepped out of darkness. Open my eyes, help me to see. He'll do that, you know. He'll open your heart. He'll open your eyes if you'll let him. But he's got to have a partnership here. So as we sing this song, if we can minister to you in any way to help you wait better and focus better and give thanks better, we want to pray around you and over you. And if you want to come this morning, we got our baptistry fixed. We can put an end to your cynicism. We can put an end to your bitterness. We can put an end to the hurts and stuff you've brought into this Christmas season. They can be buried and washed away, and you can come out of that water brand new with your eyes fixed on someone who has saved you and will never, never leave you by His glory and power and grace. Let's stand and let's praise in church.